Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Adaptation Station podcast. I've been excited to put this episode out, and I want to explain why. So the episode today is five easy principles of ABA that you can apply to your classroom. And the reason I wanted to do this is because before I started working in an ABA center, I was super intimidated by the world of applied behavior analysis. Technically speaking, my classroom worked on the quote principles end quote of ABA, but I did not get any type of training in ABA until my fourth year of teaching. And even when the training started, it was minimal at best. I clearly remember being in an IEP meeting my second year of teaching. There was an advocate involved. We had supervisors in there as well. The meeting was tense and I felt really overwhelmed. I was still very young and very inexperienced and it was super nervous. The advocate asked about ABA and my supervisor said, oh, Nicole uses principles of ABA in her classroom. She then turned to me and said, Nicole, can you share what those are? I froze. I had no idea what she was talking about. I had heard the term of ABA, but I wasn't even sure what it stood for, let alone knew what the principles were. I still don't know how I fumbled through that meeting, but I remember feeling like she asked me to speak in a foreign language I never heard. I didn't realize that I actually was doing a principles of ABA in my classroom. I just didn't know that they were principles of ABA. And I think that's the case a lot of times, both with principles of ABA and with just evidence-based practices in general. There are so many things that quality teachers are doing all the time, we don't necessarily realize that there's a lot of research backing it, or we can't turn and point to the research that is backing it. That's what this podcast is for. I'm gonna share five simple ABA principles that you probably already are using in your classroom. And if you're not using them, they're great things to have in your mental catalog. They're things that you can pull out if you need it for a student, and if you're ever asked about ABA in your classroom, you can confidently say, yes, let me share. So super easy. It'll be a short podcast. Let's dive right in. The very first thing I wanted to talk about is a token economy system. Yes, your token board is a principle of ABA. It's a very easy system to set up, and it's a great way to reinforce our students. When you think about it, we're all reinforced to go to work. Would you go to work if you weren't getting your paycheck? Probably not. So the concept of giving our students tokens for work is the same exact thing that we get. Your token economy can look however you want. You can have them earn two tokens, five tokens, 10 tokens. You can do a money system where they save up their tokens to buy something. Or you can have more of a flat system where every time they earn five tokens, they get a break. You can have them choose a picture of what they're working for before they start working so they're motivated to work the whole work session. Try customizing the token board to their interests. If they love Paw Patrol, have all of their tokens be pictures of Paw Patrol characters. If it's an older student, try a more mature design where it's just black squares that they're earning or check marks. You could even use real coins if you're trying to teach money concepts, or you could use buttons or other knickknacks that you find around your house. Most of the token boards I would make are a rectangle. The top half of the rectangle has the text I am working for on the left, and then a box on the right. This is where we can add the picture of what the child is earning. So if the child is earning an M&M or the child is earning a particular toy, we could put the picture there. And then I'll have my boxes for the tokens. I might have five boxes below that and as they earn each token, we'll put a token in a box. And you can give a token 
for anything. You can give a token for every five minutes on task. You can give a token for every four problems completed. You can give a token for every response you get. You can really give a token for anything that you design. The key is just to have a very clear system laid out so that way all of your staff members know what's going on and that they're implementing it the same way. And when you have all staff doing it at the same way, at the same time, the expectation becomes really clear for your student and they can be more successful. That first one was easy, right? Don't worry, the rest are just as easy. Number two is a visual schedule. A visual schedule is another great ABA strategy that's often used in the classroom. A lot of times students with autism spectrum disorders really depend on very clear and consistent routines. They like to do the same things at the same time every day. A schedule can go a really long way in helping them know what you expect and it lets them know what's going on. But what if a child is unable to read? Your written schedule might not be helping them. Try having a visual schedule with pictures instead. So if I know in my head, okay, we're going to do some work at their desk, then we're gonna to go to the bathroom, we're gonna to go to the lunchroom, and then we have recess in the gym after that, I might have a picture of their desk, the bathroom, the lunchroom, and the gym. And then they can visually see exactly what we're going to do. It helps give my student a much clearer understanding of what's happening. And you might have to play around and figure out what works best for your student. They might do fine with clip art images, or they might benefit from a real photo. And what that means is instead of a clip art image of a toilet, take a picture of the bathroom in your classroom or across the hall that they would be using. Try pairing the image with text if they're working on reading a schedule, and then you can ev eventually fade those pictures. It's super easy to customize and change as the student grows. And you know how when you walk into a staff meeting, and when they put the agenda up, it helps you know, oh, okay, thank goodness we're halfway through. It's the same concept. A lot of the times our students are able to work for longer durations if they know exactly what's happening and they can track how close they are to being done. It can really help your students know exactly what's going on so they're not caught off guard. Another easy strategy. The third one is one that it took me a while to get on board on, but boy, I love it. It is the natural teaching environment. I just didn't really understand it because it seemed like too simple to me to actually be a strategy that would work. I was really used to having hands-on materials that were specifically designed. So if you've listened to my podcast before, you've heard of my IEP bins, I was really used to that system. The idea of walking into a room and just using whatever you found was like, what? But it's actually incredible. For example, I have a client who's working on a lot of imitation. We're doing both physical, like gross motor and fine motor imitation, but we're also doing vocal imitation. We're working on play skills. We're working on identifying vocabulary. So we can go to the playroom. We can pull down the barn and the farm animals. We can work on vocal imitation and we can work on identifying the different animals we're playing with. We can use our fine motor skills to manipulate them. We can work on endurance with play skills. And if we're struggling with a toy and we need help, we can work on requesting assistance instead of getting frustrated. I had no idea how powerful it could be to use toys. And the best thing about this is it's really easy to show parents as well. They may not have the same flashcards that we have at home, but a lot of parents do have toys in the home. And if we can quickly model how we're working on this skill, utilizing the toys, they can do the same thing. It's also way more natural as the students get older. In the classroom, you can do a similar concept. I personally would not interrupt my students' recess time because I really wanted them to have that time like all students have, but I might find a pocket of like eight to 10 minutes. 
I might put a couple of toys on the table and then all the students could play with it together. We can work on a ton of skills related to behavior and communication using the toys. It's fun for them. It's more likely to be meaningful and you're getting a ton of data. You can take the same concept as you read a book or maybe going on a walk around your school. Look for little pockets of time and get really creative. Try and figure out when you can work on goals without sitting at a table with a deck of flashcards. The next one are the rules of reinforcement. So this isn't necessarily something you do with your student, but it's a perfect way to run your classroom. Basically, there are a couple of rules of reinforcement that make it work. Number one is that the reinforcer should be reinforcing. I know that sounds super obvious, but let me give you an example. Most kids love technology and iPads. I could get 90% of my kids to work for an iPad, but I had one student that really hated the iPad. It was not an effective reinforcer with him at all. We tried a couple of times to get him to work for an iPad. I thought if I find the right video or I find the right app or the game, he'll be into it, but he never got hooked. So I finally took the time to do a preference assessment and I discovered that he really liked things like Legos and blocks. Basically, he loved to build. And so that was a much more effective reinforcer for him. So whatever reinforcer you give, make sure the child actually likes it. Another one, your child might love editables, but that doesn't mean they like all candy. So don't just assume if they like candy, you can give them any candy. Do an assessment to figure out what candy actually works. It's also important to rotate your reinforcers. You don't want the child to use the same thing over and over again because you have the risk of them becoming satiated. And what that means is they get too much of it and they don't want it anymore. And we all have probably been there. You might love wine, but if you have a little bit too much wine on a Friday night, you probably don't wanna wake up Saturday morning and pour another glass of wine. It's the same concept. You truly can have too much of a good thing. The most effective way to combat this is to rotate your reinforcers. Depending on the child, maybe you need to rotate the reinforcer, reinforcer every other day. Maybe it's just at the end of every week or every month, but figure out the rotation that works and keep it moving for them so they always have a variety to choose from and it'll help your reinforcers last a lot longer. You also need to give your reinforcers on a contingent basis. And what that means is you should not be giving the reinforcer unless you've seen whatever it is that you're trying to reinforce. If you start giving the reinforcer at any time, then it's not a reinforcer anymore because the child is no longer having to meet any expectation to earn it. So make sure whatever you set up, whether it's appropriate behavior or correct responses, make sure the reinforcement is not given until after you see that behavior or response occur and make sure you're giving the reinforcers consistently. How do you get the child to know that they're gonna get the reinforcer when you're just starting out with this? You have to build that trust. If you tell them that they get a token for every five minutes that they're on task, and when they get five tokens, they get a reinforcer, and then when those 25 minutes are up, you don't give them access to the reinforcer, they don't trust you anymore because you didn't follow through, and so the system is not going to work. It's really important to keep that in mind when you develop things like token boards. Even if your child loves going on walks outside, if you're in a classroom and you know that you're not gonna consistently have a staff member free to give them a walk outside, maybe that's not a good choice for the token board. Because again, the last thing you want is for them to earn that walk outside and then you say, I can't take you on a walk outside because then they have no reason to keep working, they don't trust you anymore. 
So make sure that you have reinforcers that are realistic for you to implement. And you'll eventually want to fade your reinforcers, so just have that in the back of your mind. If you're giving the child a token for every third response they make, hopefully over time, you'll be able to increase it to every fourth response. If you're giving a token for five minutes of on-task behavior, hopefully you can increase it to seven minutes of on-task behavior. Work hard to get your system of reinforcement working, and then as the child becomes successful, start to increase the demand and fade the reinforcer. But I just wanted to throw this in here, it is totally okay if that takes time. You might use the same schedule of reinforcement for six months, and I work in a year-round center, but thinking back to school, you're dealing with winter break, summer vacation, snow days, and heck, right now with COVID, you might be in person for two weeks, and then you might go virtual for two weeks and then come back. That's a lot going on. If you're using the same schedule of reinforcement for the entire school year, that's okay. Just be gentle with yourself and be as consistent as you can and do your very best. The last one I wanted to talk about was discrete trial training. You might hear this called DTT. It's a very simple concept. It's just a very structured way of teaching a new skill. This is probably what most people picture ABA sessions to be. And I'll give a really simple example of what this would look like. Let's say you're introducing shapes to a student. You might place four cards in front of them with a square on one, a circle on one, a rectangle on one, and a triangle on one. You might have all four on the table and you tell the child to touch the triangle. When the child touches the triangle, you immediately provide reinforcement. If the child does not respond at all or they touch the wrong shape, you immediately correct them. You'll take data on it and then that trial is over. You'll wanna make sure that you do consistent trials and then keep your trials consistent because it's gonna make it easier for you to compare data. If you do four trials on Monday and 20 trials on Tuesday, then it's not lining up. Because three out of four and three out of 20 are very, very different success rates. So do the same number of trials every single time that you work on it. You'll wanna use a really highly powered reinforcer. And if you're using an editable like candy, cut it up. Take a gummy bear and cut it into four or six different pieces. So that way the child can have frequent access to reinforcement but you're not giving them 20 gummy bears in a session. And if you're not using editables, try and pick something that can be done quickly. I would not recommend doing something like iPad because you want this to move relatively fast. And if you're, after every response, having to set up an iPad, put your password in, find the game they wanna play, that's taking too long. So try and give something that they can have quick access to. Blowing bubbles is a great one, or maybe they have a car that they play with at the table. We wanna think quick here. And another key to working on this is doing small increments. So if you're gonna introduce colors, try only introducing three colors, not all 12 colors. Your three colors are gonna be set one. Once they've mastered the first set of colors, you can move to the second set of colors that you've picked out. And have that mastery criteria set out before you start. So how many times does a child need to identify it correctly in order to move forward? And I like to see this across days personally. So I wanna see them get 100% accuracy three days in a row before we move forward. The whole point of discrete trial is repetition. So DTT might not be appropriate for every child, but this is a great one to consider if you have a child that's really struggling to acquire skills. It's a much more systematic approach to teach any basic skills along identification. So whether it's color, shape ID, 
number or letter ID. You can even use math concepts like coin, telling time and fraction ID, or learning basic vocabulary, their name, anything like that. I hope this podcast gave you some ideas of how you can apply ABA in the classroom. If there's anything you ever want to know more about or you want me to cover in a future podcast, don't hesitate to reach out. My goal is to make ABA not be so intimidating and super applicable for teachers. I've been in your shoes and I get it. And I'm here for you every step of the way. Thanks everybody and I'll catch you in the next episode. so much to me that you guys are willing to listen to the very end of my podcast. I try so hard to choose topics that are relevant and put the two worlds of teaching and ABA together. If you enjoy the podcast, I would greatly appreciate if you went and left a reading or a review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty quick to do and it helps me a ton. And if you ever have anything you want to hear in the podcast, reach out because I'm willing to do whatever I can. Take care, everyone.